The following audio is from The Grove Church. For more information about the church or to listen to previous sermons, visit our website at grove.church. What's going on, Grove Church? So happy that you're here at the 945. Give yourselves a hand for making the 945. Hey, this is part six of Family Ever After, and we're doing something a lot different today. We're doing a Q&A panel. So I know a lot of times we, you know, mention or you hear, put your phone away in church, but not today. Everyone say, not today. Come on, pull out your phone and wave it at me. Come on. I know it's in your pocket or in your purse. Pull it out. Wave it at me. This is the phone number. We want you to text. Now, these are anonymous, okay, so we don't know. Who's asking these questions? Okay, we're not going to mention your name or throw you under the bus or anything like that. But this is our final installment, our final part of this series. And we thought it would be cool to answer questions about the family, about marriage, about children, parenting, uh, whatever you want to ask. Go ahead and text this number and we will be getting to your questions today. Are we excited? All right. Wow, man, that was that was below par, folks, below par. A um, couple of things I want to mention here before I introduce our awesome panel. First of all, um, out in the lobby, we have the code that we mention a lot. Uh, this is kind of our core values or really what defines the culture of the Grove Church. I think this environment applies to two of those. One uh, is the one that we have on there called uh, Serious. It says, we are serious about the saving work of Jesus Christ. We know the methods will change but the message never will. This is a great opportunity to use that as an example. This is a different method, but we love Jesus. Every person on this stage is passionate about Jesus, but we thought it'd be a cool way to mix it up on a Sunday. We did this last week a little bit differently with Kristen and I talking about womanhood and manhood. In addition to that, this is meant to be fun, and that goes along with our culture. We will laugh hard, loud, and often. Nothing is more fun than serving God with people you love. So we want to have fun. So if you think church is uptight or boring, it will not be today. I can guarantee that. Um, that being said, let me introduce the panel. This is Barry and Amy Gould, awesome family in our community. Barry is a school teacher at Pilchuck High School, as well as our varsity basketball coach for MP. They had a great season this year. Awesome family. This is Evan and Ashley. They are newlyweds. All right. Exciting times. Yep. They made it. They've been married for a total of 22 days. Good times. Good work, you guys. Welcome to marriage. Naked and unashamed. Hallelujah. Okay. Um, this is Debbie Cole. Debbie is Ryan Lawford's favorite mother-in-law. I love that. She is also her and uh, her husband, Dave Cole, serve as the assistant superintendents of the network of Assemblies of God. That's a part of the umbrella that our church falls under. So thank you for being here, Debbie. Our friends and lead pastors, Pastor Nick and Heather Baumgart, and uh, Aaron and Cassandra Den, our youth pastors. So this is going to be fun. We're excited to get this going. And uh, we have a ton of questions already coming in. So let's have a little fun today and ask this question. Uh, is four kids too many, and should the Baumgarts have a fifth child? Anybody? Comments? Thoughts there? Yes. Yes and no. Okay. All right. All right. Um, in one word, how would you sum up the internet? In one word, how would you sum up the internet? In one word. Opportunity. That's deep. Anyone else? All right, we're going to get serious now. Oh, one word. All right, I did say one word. You're right. Okay, here we go. We're talking about dating. All right, anybody out there dating? Raise your hand. All right, all right, awesome. 
Anyone? Anybody anyone out there? Anybody want to date? Let's let's set people up right here now. <laughs> Any what? I said anybody oh. want to be dating? Oh we can right. Set people up right now. Anyone out there wish yeah. to be dating? All right. Okay. Good. Okay. This is a dating question here. We'll talk about the topic of dating. What is the best piece of advice for marrying your partner that is not religious or was raised in a different religion? What is your best piece of advice for marrying your partner that is not religious or was raised in a different religion? So, I mean, I think... Go uh, ahead, Pastor Evan. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Pastor Nick, we're going to let Evan He's go first. Oh, where are you dating. going? Oh, my you bad. haven't been dating for a long time. That's right. Let's defer to Evan. <laughs> go ahead, Professor Westerfield. Go ahead. Uh, no, I, I, I was just going to say, I think um, one of the most important conversations that, that you're going to have as a, as a couple, especially looking at marriage, is, is where is your faith? Um, and there are certain questions, I think, where um, they're so central to who we are as people that it's going to be extremely difficult to have a successful relationship and successful marriage um, if you can't agree. And I would say the, the most important question for any of us is, uh, is who do we worship? And so I would, I, I guess my just advice, and even the Bible talks about um, the idea of being with people who share your faith. Um, that's probably, that would, that would be my advice is to, to be with someone who shares your values, to be with someone who also shares your faith in Christ. Go ahead, Heather. <laughs> I forgot you were going to say something. I'm sorry, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think a huge part of that that people forget when they are dating somebody is that someday, if you want to have children, that that is going to be the parent of your children. And um, I think that that's the scariest thing because we, as Christ followers, believe that the way to heaven is through Christ. And so what is the most important thing that we would want for our children is that they would serve Christ and someday have eternity with him. And I think if you date somebody who doesn't share that same belief in eternity then the chances are that you might fall in love with somebody who doesn't share the, your same belief in eternity and therefore then someday may father or mother your children and not share your sense of urgency about eternity. And that is the scariest part to me, is that my children won't accept Christ, won't choose him on their own and love Jesus. And I think when you date somebody that doesn't share that belief, um, you run a huge huge risk that your children won't believe in Jesus and accept him as their Lord and Savior. Okay. I think at times we become so worried about being judgmental or, you know, as, as Christians that we, we don't want to say the actual truth, like the truth of scripture and what the Bible says about that. And it says, do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. I mean, that's just black and white truth. And it's, it, it, it seems like a harsh answer, but it, it's the truth, and sometimes the truth is painful. So if you're dating someone that doesn't believe in Jesus and you believe in Jesus, then you either need to help convince them to believe in Jesus or find somebody that does. That's my, not opinion, but like based on the Bible, yeah. truth. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we're here in church, so it's okay to talk about the actual black and white truth. If I was talking to my you know first period English class that would be a little bit different answer but we're here in church and and the truth of the Bible is valid and it's important and it's still relevant and it doesn't matter if it's in Bible times or in 2018 yeah. 
It's the truth. I'm hoping I get an applause too. Go ahead. Um, just kidding. I, I want to talk on the other side of the conversation and, and more towards what my wife said, and I'll keep it brief. Um, I, I, get the, I get the pleasure or, or challenge of meeting with an individual or sometimes a couple who's now married and down this road a ways, and you add such a degree of difficulty when you, when you take that step and you're, you're going to get engaged and get married to somebody who doesn't share that same spiritual value, doesn't put Christ on the throne, doesn't maybe care as much. I am the one... Um, that that meets with a, have has met with a lot. I can't count how many couples that they're trying to figure out where do they go from here. How do they pick up the pieces? And I just will say this pretty much across the board. Um, almost every time, somebody deeply regrets that they took that step that they shouldn't have taken because they were emotionally engaged, because they couldn't see maybe straight, because they were in love or whatever. Um, and it is a very 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 difficult road. To, to walk. And Paul addresses that road, by the way, when he talks about when you're in a marriage that one shares, one has that value of, of Christ on the throne and the other doesn't, and, and the difficulty that that adds. And so that's why there's such a warning about that. Mm -hmm. And I would add very quickly as well, God's trustworthy. And so if we, would don't, if we are afraid to get out of a relationship because we're not equally yoked, we're not with a believer, we're actually showing a lack of trust in God's providence and provision because he knows what you need and he promises if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he'll give us the desires of our hearts. And so it's a trust issue as well when it comes to this dating conversation. So I'll leave that there. Okay, good. Stay, sticking on the dating conversation, uh, someone asked, I'm, I'm a young person and me and my girlfriend have crossed the sexual boundary lines. What should we do? I'm a young person and me and my girlfriend have crossed the sexual boundary lines. What should we do? It's Repent. I mean, it's, it's it really, I don't mean to be, repent. Repent means, God, forgive us for crossing this boundary. And repent also means to walk the other direction. So not only, Lord, forgive me, but how do we set up the right boundaries to do this right? Because we, we're in a relationship. Let's be honest. And I'm going to be up here and I'm going to say this, and you're not going to like it any more than I like maybe saying it. But all of us have felt tempted in our dating lives, okay? All of us to, to cross those boundaries. And it's about having the right thing set up. So repenting, saying, God, Will you forgive us because we cross these boundaries? And then also the next step is how do we set up things like let, let's not park in a dark parking lot in the back of it in the, in, in the middle of the night and try to make a good decision, okay? Or, you know, um, have accountability. That's So I've, leave room for the Holy Spirit. I've always, yeah. Right. Good. Um, I've always been a big fan and I always will be a huge fan of accountability. Somebody that's willing to ask you the tough questions all the time. There's got to be somebody in every one of our lives that is asking us the tough questions all the time. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, are you looking at things you shouldn't? Hey, are you crossing boundaries with your significant other? Hey, are, how's your prayer life? Hey, I mean, those questions, somebody needs to be asking you and me these questions on a regular basis because it's far too easy to get away with things when people aren't asking us those questions. But, um, okay. I just want to say, to add to what Nick was saying about boundaries, is that those have to be in place before <laughs> you're in the situation. So you have to know, like, we're not doing this, we're not doing that, and that's set up before way before you're in that situation. So you have to give yourself that. And obviously it's going to be hard to sort of rewind and go backwards. Once you've crossed any line, it's harder to go back. But I would say this, that when you are dating and when you're in a relationship before you get married, you really want to think about what type of relationship you want to have in marriage. And if you don't have self-control and the ability to put up walls, you know, that are, that are healthy boundaries ahead of time, what makes you think suddenly when you get married that you're going to be able to do that? 
You want somebody, uh, you want to marry a spouse who has boundaries when it comes to pornography, when it, has, when it comes to all sorts of um, sexual doors, when it comes to coworkers. You want to have somebody who can have self-control and make wise decisions. And so um, I actually think it's fantastic to have a chance to rewind and sort of build some character in each of you and have a chance to exercise, exercise the fruit of the Holy Spirit of self-control now so that that can continue to grow once you're married. Love is choosing the highest good for the other person. Love is choosing the highest good for the other person. So if you think of what is best for that person that you're dating right now, it isn't to have sex with them because you don't know if that's going to be your husband or wife. The other thing that I want to add to this is that if you have, there's grace and forgiveness. There's plenty of people that have successful marriages that, that cross those boundaries then drew a line in the sand and said, from here on out, this is the, this is the way we're going to roll. And it's going to be better. And, and God's grace and forgiveness is, is the same for that sin as it is for, for all the sins. If you truly repent, which P Pastor Nick was the first word he said, you're walking away from that situation. But there's grace. There's forgiveness. God, God gets it. But go and sin no more. That's the command after that. And then you might mess up again. And guess what? There's a fresh line in the sand. And seven times 70 is a lot of times, but we're not doing that so that we can continue to sin, but, but we're humans and we mess up and we do put ourselves in those bad situations. So then just stop it. Just knock it off, draw that line in the sand and move forward knowing that God's grace and, and forgiveness is enough. Good. Along, along this lines, I, I do want us to uh, answer this question here. What would you say to a young couple wanting to get married when people are telling them to just move in together and see if they are compatible? Kind of deals with the topic of, uh, I think the slang is shacking up. So, so um, I believe the biblical model for, for couples that are trying to take the right steps include single, attracted, courting or dating, however you want to put that, um, but not living together yet. And then you, you go back to what we talked about early on in this series when we talked about marriage, and, and Ryan did a great job with this in, in the beginning of Genesis, where, where the, the picture is to, it sounds weird to say it this way, but to leave and cleave. And the idea is you, you go out from the covering of your parents and you, you come under the covering of, of that, that marriage covenant. Um, but there is not an in-between. And in the world that we live in today, there's more of an in-between than there's ever been. The idea that I'm going to move out with my buddies for a bunch of years and we're going to live in an apartment together and hang out and we'll have parties and we'll go do this or that, you know, whatever. And, and, and that's not – anyway. Um, but there's this weird in-between. And so the, the picture of shacking up I don't believe is biblical either. And some people say, well, we want to see if we're compatible so that once we get married, we realize we can do this. Um, I don't believe that's biblical. And I believe even as Aaron said, that goes back to trusting God. Trusting that he's the Lord of this relationship and he'll take care of the compatibility conversation if we're willing to take the kind of steps that God asks us to take. And so, like I said, I'm going to just real briefly, biblically single, then you're attracted to somebody. And so you begin to look at the dating conversation, the courting conversation, the engagement conversation, the marriage covenant conversation, wedding, and then the living together and enjoying life in that capacity together. I believe that is the biblical model. Good. All right, to Debbie, we've got some questions about grandparents. I think this is a good one for you to answer because you are a grandparent. I'm the old one on the panel. Okay. Yes, I am. Um, Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> you, you look good. Um, Thank you. Yes. 
Have you had to deal, this just came in, have you had to deal with overbearing in-laws? If so, what are some ways you've handled it effectively? You probably should ask Ryan this question, right? <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, you love me. I know you do. Um, because, yeah, he probably did. Is that, did you send that in? <laughs> they, are, they are anonymous. They are anonymous. The questions are anonymous. Okay. I had the most amazing in-laws, so I have to say I can't really speak on it from that end. Um, I had amazing in-laws, but let me tell you what they did for us. Number one, um, they prayed for us. They didn't interfere, and um, they were our number one supporters and modeled a great marriage to us. So what would I say to you if you have overbearing in-laws? <laughs> <laughs> I would treat them as Christ has asked you to treat them. Sometimes we think they're overbearing, and I think um, some people might think, my kids might think that of me at times, but it just means we really love and care for our grandkids, and we don't think they're doing a good job, and we want to help them. And um, <laughs> No. I think you really have to look at it. Are they overbearing, or is it that they just care so much? And you have to set up some boundaries. My husband and I set up some boundaries. When our kids got married, someone told us these three things. You love and pray for them, you smile a lot, and you give advice when asked. So that's what I would say. And if you're struggling with overbearing in-laws, I would just tell them that you love them dearly and you want them to pray for you, you want them to smile a lot, and you want them to ask, give input when they're asked. And if that offends them, you continue to pray for them. You continue to walk in relationship. This is family. It's family. And prayer will do a lot. So I just encourage you to continue to love them, set up some good boundaries, and... Um, God will work through that and bring a long and healthy relationship. And sometimes those boundaries, you know, if it's difficult times, um, there can be a time that you even have to kind of step away from it and get some help. But it's all about working together and praying for one another. And God will work through that. Good. God will work through that. Good. Awesome. Uh, this one's for Amy. This is about parenting. We're moving to the topic of parenting. Uh, this came in on our uh, Facebook group page this week. How exactly does one get through to their kids without losing their temper? Homework, getting ready, eating your dinner, not doing this, using your manners, going to bed, etc. Um, I think one thing that we've always tried to do with our kids since they were little is just being consistent. Like whatever you decide to do as far as discipline is concerned, just be consistent with that. And um, it gets tiring at times to do all those things. Did you say please? Did you look him in the eye? Did you, you know, all those manners things. And, um, but it, and it, it is tiring. It's repetitive. <clears throat> Parenting when they're little is super exhausting. But I think move, now that our kids are 18 and 21, seeing that in their lives and seeing not just what we see in them, but what other people see in them is really rewarding. Um, so I don't know, like, I, th I feel like every kid's different and what works for, for your family is different, but I just say whatever you decide to do, be consistent. Okay. There, there's a, a, sh a short comment I want to make um, about, uh, James Dobson has talked about this multiple times in multiple books, but he talks about not disciplining out of anger 
which is so hard sometimes because we're exhausted and we're frustrated and we're annoyed. But, but when we discipline out of anger, that's where we can tend to fly off the handle easier. That's where we tend to go overboard and realize they only needed one spank and then you gave them eight or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Um, and, and just realizing that as difficult as that can be, the challenge to all of us is when we're having to deal with correction, don't do it in a spirit of anger. And if it means you got to step away and go, okay, you go to your room, we're going to talk in 10 minutes. Okay, because it gives you time to cool off, but, but that may help some of you. Good. I just want to say, especially if you have little kids, I, I would love to like grab your face and look at you, but so much of your parenting is done when your kids are tiny, before you even think that they're capable of really taking it in or understanding. And so I would say that consistency and being clear with what your expectations are. I think sometimes we're frustrated with our kids but we don't realize that we've not even really communicated what it is that we want from them or need from them. So I think in routine, you know, if you want them to keep a clean room, then you have to thousands of times over and over and say, we play, we pick up, you know, and you have to say that over and over throughout their years so that when they get to be teenagers, you're not trying to rewind and sort of um, build uh, discipline or those kinds of things in them. So if you have little kids, you don't even understand when you are, when they are one and two, all those little things that you want them to be when they're 12, 13, 14, that's the chance to really build that inside of them. And so I would say, be clear with what you want from them and come up. Nick did this years and years ago, but when it's time for bed, all my husband says is potty hands, teeth jams. That's it. And my kids know, what does that mean? They have to go to the bathroom. They have to wash their hands. <laughs> if you don't wash your hands, you have to go to the bathroom. Let's, let's, let's start there. But anyway, so potty hands, they have to brush their teeth, and then they get on their pajamas and, you know, glasses of water and all that kind of stuff. You have to handle that how you handle it. But um, routine, routine and clarity of what you need from them. Good. Um, I'm going to move to and, another and question. she tells me sometimes we play and then we pick up. Yeah, so that's right. I'm that's learning. right. We play and then we pick up. I like that. I like that. Um, Still on parenting, and then we're going to move to marriage next year. Uh, what advice has came in in this service? What advice can you offer to raising children, children in a blended family, and the ex does not regularly attend or practice faith? What advice can you offer to raising children in a blended family, and the ex does not regularly attend or practice faith? We'll have Nick go with the first one on this. Well, and, and I'll answer this only because I, I talked with a gal before service about this very question. And this, is a, this sounds like such an insufficient answer, but I think the, the best answer I can come up with is do your best. I mean, the, you're, you are somewhat limited in how effective you can be if you are the step parent or you're in a family where the, the, the husband is all about church and the kid's going to church and then the wife is just not about that or vice versa. All you can do is your best. And there's no doubt that sometimes that spouse, in their frame of reference, sometimes they're very adamant about, you're not bringing my kid to church and you're not whatever. And there's, there's a level of respect that you have to have for that. Um, on another hand, I would be looking for opportunities prayerfully about how to have conversations or how to help them see Jesus, even though the lines have been drawn in the sand. There's, you can't do this or you can't, we're not going to be part of that. Um, I, I know it's insufficient, but all you can do is your best. And you are limited. Mm -hmm. Good. We have a lot of questions coming in. We're doing our very best to get to them. We're going to move to the marriage topic here. Um, we're going to try to get all of them as we can, but there's probably too many here, folks. Okay, moving to marriage here. I first want to answer the question. We, we make a statement a lot here at the Grove uh, that we, we, we don't want to be a Christian family. We want to be a Christ-centered home. Speaking of marriage, what does it mean to have a Christ-centered home or a Christ-centered marriage versus a Christian marriage or a Christian family? 
Anyone? Heather? Heather? Sure. So um, I would say the difference is this, that being a Christian, going to church, loving Jesus is not one thing that we do. It's not something we check off our list, like we're a sports family or we're a skiing family. It is the sun which around everything else revolves. It's the filter through every, everything has to go through that filter that I love Jesus. And so when I play sports, this is how I play. Well, I love Jesus. And so when I talk to people at school, this is how I talk to people because that is the sun around which everything revolves. We are a Christ-centered home. That is first and, sm for, for, first and foremost, and everything in our lives is peppered and, and seasoned with that. So then to, to branch out into the marriage question and the Christ-centered marriage, I mean, it, it just is as, as simple as it sounds that if I'm focusing on Jesus Christ, then my perspective of how I love my wife is, is different than, than if I'm not. And if she's doing that same thing on the other side, and we're, we're back to that definition of love is choosing the highest good for the other person. If I'm choosing the highest good for Amy and my perspective is to focus on all the incredible things that she does. And it's easy to love Amy. There's thousands of things that, sh that she does for our family, for our business, in our life that, that are incredible. And so I focus on those things. I don't focus on the one or two things that she doesn't do you know, to my standard and my liking because that's counterproductive for me. And, and, and as that happens, um, my perspective changes. And, and I'm just hoping that on the other side, as she's a Christ follower, that she's doing that same thing and not choosing to focus on the things that I do poorly, but she's focusing on the things that I, that I do well for our family. And as we do that, there's just this respect and love that happens and grows. I mean, we've been married for 22 years, and, and I, I honestly feel like I love Amy more right now this second than I ever have, even when, you know, when we were 15 and dating, we thought, you know, all these butterflies and unicorns and all that stuff that happens. <laughs> like, I... Because there's history and there's security. We've been through some really tough stuff together, but we've done it together. And so sometimes Amy doesn't like to clean the house, but I like to clean. So I'll just do that. And sometimes I don't like to drive, so she'll drive. You know, and, and wait, that's kind of, you know, you're supposed to be the man and you drive your family and whatever. And she's the woman. She barefoot and cleans and all that stuff. <laughs> that's not how it works in our family. Our Christ-centered relationship is that I'm, I'm putting my eyes on Christ. And I'm going, how can, how can I love her better? Well, focus on all these awesome things that she does, and it's easy. She's easy to love mm -hmm. because I focus on all the good things about her. And even if your spouse doesn't have a ton of good things, they have some good things. You fell in love to, with them for a reason. Mm -hmm. So focus on those one or two things, and you'll be, you'll be shocked. And I'm, I know that's funny, but you'll be shocked at how how much you can fall in love with them and, and, and really how those things that they're doing well grow. There's going to be more and more of those things that they do, that they do well. Good. I love it. Uh, this next one's for uh, Evan and Ashley. What's the right amount of sex that a couple should have in marriage? <laughs> so, 20, 22 days into marriage. A married couple. So. Don't answer. Okay. All right. Don't answer that. Once or twice a day. <laughs> You've done it at least 22 times. Please tell me you've done it 22 times. <laughs> order, Woo. order. Woo. Can, I, can I remind everybody, I feel the need to remind everybody in the room, Woo. we are real people challenging real people. 
We're easy to be around and excited Ooh. about growing together. So just getting, want to remind you that's a code. Getting, it's getting a little warm in here. Excuse me. Um, uh, if, uh, if a marriage is struggling, I mean, we, we do run into this a lot in our culture. What are some things a couple can do to work on it? Oh, we'll have Debbie start with this one and then move from there. Oh, did you want to wake me up? <laughs> you hit me like... I thought you were awake like, um, <laughs> Anyways, in marriage, um, we will have been married 40 years, just so I'd throw that out. Yeah. And um, just so you know, I don't know, some guy, he's not here. Um, <laughs> what? Um, but that's part of marriage. And um, part of marriage is really understanding each other and loving each other. And my husband loves to hunt. And he's hunting today. I hate to hunt unless it's for a new dress, so that I'm not doing it. <laughs> but um, I release him to do those things he loves to do, and I re he releases me to do those things I love to do, but yet we are one. Mm -hmm. And if you're struggling in marriage, um, I would just encourage you, first of all, sometimes I have people come to me and they'll say, I'm struggling. And it's like the most smallest thing. He never takes out the garbage. That to me is not really struggling, um, you know. So I, I just want to encourage you, sometimes our struggling can be not that big a thing, that you need to start working right then, kind of working through some of those smaller things. Because what happens is those small things become big things if you don't work at the small things. And I just encourage you, if you're struggling, number one, to begin to work together reading there's some amazing books i mean number one coming to this church and going through the last six weeks of your mar uh, the parenting the family that will help you getting into the word of god getting around others that have healthy marriages if you're only hanging out with people that bicker and pull down their spouses i encourage you to get around other people that have strong marriages that can feed into you and encourage you read the word of god pray 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 and if it really is bad, I encourage Christian counseling. I've seen it help amazing a lot of people. So I just want to encourage you, don't wait till it's too late. I just want to piggyback on the pray for your spouse. I think that... Um, play? Pray. Play? Oh, pray. pray. Oh, okay. Play or pray. I couldn't figure it out. Or play, whatever. They're both good. Um, people will be struggling in their marriage and yet not truly taking it to God. Maybe praying a little bit here and there, praying about their frustration. Um, but if you were diagnosed with cancer, you would go to the doctor and you would seek every kind of therapy you can possibly get. You would take the, the medicine, the difficult medicine given down to you. And so if your marriage is struggling, treat it like a sickness and be aggressive about treating the marriage. And I would say, pray before the Lord and humble yourself. Um, years ago, quick story. Years ago, Nick and I had something. I mean, it was not even a big thing, but it was an impasse in our marriage of, like, something that I felt really... He wasn't really, taking out the garbage. Really, No, it wasn't that. Um, that I felt passionate about, and um, Nick didn't see my point of view at all. And it was something... It was, like, hurtful to what, the court. What are we talking about? <laughs> well, if I would continue the story, you would know the rest. I'm scared of what you're going to say. <laughs> Welcome to my life every single Sunday. <laughs> okay. It's your turn. Go, girl. Go. Okay, I'll just tell what it is. I just I didn't I was trying to make a quick story that that someday I wanted to go back to school and he would he would say, "Well, what do you want to do for a career?" I'm like, "Well, it's not about having a career. I just want to go back to school because I love to learn." Do you remember this now? Okay. <laughs> So we were at, at an impasse because he was practically saying, why would we pay for a college for you when you're not going to, you know, turn that into money for that household? Yeah. And I was saying, I just want to be, 
the best person I can possibly be and um, education is included in that. And so anyway, that was the impasse. That was the issue. And I had to, we were really not seeing eye to eye and I had to just say, okay, whatever, I'm going to let this go. And I really did, no matter how sad I was and how much passion I had into, I want to go to school. I just had to turn it over to the Lord and say, God, he's your child first and foremost. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> what? Nothing, go ahead. This is and good. I had to really Debbie, turn it over to Debbie, the Debbie, I'm going to need that counselor. <laughs> yes. I'm going to need that. And I continually prayed for him. Jesus, I, you know, and willing, honestly, on my part to go, okay, maybe I'm wrong. God, what do you, change me or change him? Because we're at an impasse, but I am handing it over to you. I'm taking the reins and giving them to you, and I'm, and I'm not going to hold on to this. And it was couple years down the line. I mean, it wasn't right away. It was a while down the line. And we were on a date and he handed me a book with a bookmark in it. And, um, oh, it can make me cry. And so, um, he had read something. I don't even remember what book it was or whatever, but he handed it to me and I read it. And he just, and he goes, I understand now. We have to trust the Lord to be the teacher and the one who deals with our spouse on some of those issues where we're at an impasse and we're not seeing eye to eye because it's going to happen in marriage. But we have to be willing for the, to let the Lord work it out mm -hmm. in his time. Good. That wasn't so bad, was it? No, that was good. That was good. <laughs> Major looked good. good at the end. <laughs> Save that. All right, this, la this last one is definitely more deeper waters. I, I do think this will be a question that, Nick, you can answer first. Um, we've had several questions come in about the LGBT community. Uh, one of them is, where do you stand on the LGBT community in terms of inclusion? The other one is, how do you handle having a gay family member? Uh, the other one is, where should we as Christians stand on gay marriage? So your thoughts on that uh, as a church, as a Christ follower for marriage, all those kind of things. Can I just say real quick before you answer, Nick, is how cool is it that we have a church that is willing to tackle these really tough questions and not just skirt the issue, but that's, that's awesome. That's really, yeah, really cool. So I've said for years, and this won't change, that, that our measuring line for life, for sexuality, for really every topic under the sun um, is, is the scriptures. And we look to the scriptures, and I really believe that the scriptures talk about defining romantic relationships as a man and a woman. And, and that's not going to change simply because our culture decides maybe it's different and how dare we dictate who you can love and who you can't love. I, I really believe that um, it's, it was designed to be a man and a woman that are allowed to have a romantic relationship and, and stuff. Um, that being said, we have this weird thing where I think in our world we tend to make that a sin, that, that that's, that's not right. But then we don't talk about adultery. We don't talk about that I'm going to go home and look at pornography and, and that's wrong too. Or I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to steal from my, my workplace because they don't pay me enough, so I grab some stuff here and there, and that's called stealing. And um, I'm not trying to water this down. I just think that we have a tendency to sort of pick on certain things when I believe that there is grace for every person that wants to hear the message of Christ to receive the message of Christ. And my hope would be that there's, and I know that there are individuals that have been a part of our church and come to our church on a regular basis that uh, come from that background or are living in that background. And I hope that they feel welcome to be here to hear about who Jesus is and what he's done for them to redeem the entirety of their lives, not just one portion of their lives, but all of it. And so I believe that people deserve grace. People deserve love. We talk a lot of times about, you know, you know um, never kick a man when he's down. And yet we have a tendency to go, oh, you're, you're in that relationship or you're in that situation. Well, how dare you? 
And, and who are we to do that? I believe that people need a lot of grace and that people need love and that the more they can see the love of Christ and how we live and, and how we stand for people, that they can receive that love and realize all that God has done for them to receive salvation and transformation and all that ensues just like you did and just like I did. I didn't grow up in church world and so I didn't have morality. I'm just going to say it. I didn't have any morality. I didn't care about anything. I didn't have boundaries or, or standards or whatever. But when I gave my life to Christ, I will also say those things didn't change overnight. It was little by little as I learned and as I grew and as I studied and as I prayed that God brought about transformation little by little. I mean, it wasn't immediate. Some people go, I was revolutionized in a moment and different. Um, most of us aren't. Most of us, it's a process. Can we disagree on that? And that, that if you know people or you have people in your family that say, well, I, I'm gay, which we have, I've had plenty of conversations with people that say that's, you know, going on in my family and stuff. Um, great. Express Christ's love to them. Realize that he loves them too, just like he loves the adulterer, just like he loves the thief, just like he loves the gossip, just like he loves the slander, just like he, I mean, you go over the list in scripture, there's a whole litany. Let's not just pick that one. Can we agree that sin is sin and that we, we can receive God's grace if we're willing to hear what Christ has done for us? Good, awesome. Hey, man, because of time, we need to wrap up. Can we give our panel a huge hand? Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Podcast. If you want to keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook or sign up for our e-newsletter at grove.church.